Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Hour number two of Mornings with Carmen for this Monday, October 18th. No, Carmen is gone. She's traveling. She had a weekend speaking engagement uh, out in California. She's on her way back. She'll be back here tomorrow. And then she'll also be out on Friday because on Saturday, she's going to be in Hartford. And a reminder for our Hartford listeners, there's going to be a special meet and greet on Saturday afternoon, the 23rd. If you'd like more information about it, text the word MEET, M-E-E-T, text word MEET to 877-933-2484. You'll get a little kickback message where you can click on, get the information, and get signed up so you can be part of it out there in Hartford, Connecticut. Well, Carmen likes to sometimes go hashtag pray the news and a big pray the news issue over the weekend. Uh, 17 missionaries, part of an organization out of Ohio called Christian Aid Ministries. So 17 missionaries, uh, 16 Americans, one Canadian, were abducted. And it's believed by an organization called 400 Mowozo, which is a gang there, a very violent gang. And they were abducted in a suburb just uh, northeast of Port-au-Prince. If you were to go to uh, ChristianAidMinistries.org, they do have a statement up. They're asking for prayer, urging prayer for the group's, uh, group of Christian Aid ministry workers who were abducted while on a trip to visit an orphanage Saturday. We are seeking God's direction for a resolution, and authorities are seeking ways to help. The group of 16 U.S. citizens and one Canadian, including five men, seven women, and five children, uh, join us in prayer for those being affected or being held hostage. Pray for the kidnappers. Pray for the families and friends and the churches of those affected. Again, if you want to know more about this, it's in a lot of the news feeds, but you can also connect directly with Christian Aid Ministries, ChristianAidMinistries.org is uh, their website. Plus, over in Britain, kind of a tragic situation where a longtime British member of Parliament, Dave Amos, was stabbed to death at a church. According to the BBC, Sir Dave, who had been a Conservative MP since 1983, was stabbed multiple times during a regular Friday meeting that he does with his South and West constituents at the Belfair's Methodist Church in Leon C., Essex. A man has been arrested following his killing. Um, his name is Ali Harabi Ali, a 25-year-old British man of Somali heritage, and um, they, they're still trying to get all the details about that, but needless to say, uh, many uh, many people in Britain, especially the family and and of, uh, of Sir, Dave, uh, Sir David, uh, traumatized and just needing your prayers. Well, when it comes to stuff happening around the world, we do like to cover that and try and bring a God's eye view, try and apply the mind of Christ to some of these issues. And coming up in a few moments, we'll be talking with Glenn Durer. He is a political scientist over in Ohio at Cedarville. Also, if I remember right, he serves on a city council. I'm uh, going to have to ask about that again, how that's all going. But that's coming your way in just a few moments here on Mornings with Carmen.
This is Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. I'm Paul filling in today and with me right now, Glenn Durer from uh, Cedarville University, a world affairs guy. And also you're still doing that city council work, right? Uh, correct. I'm 15 days away from my next election. Oh. And uh, the, the good news for me is that there are three of us running for three seats. So it's um, <laughs> less contested, but I, I'm still working hard, still meeting people. Uh, sharing where I stand, things of that nature. There you but it's go. A, a different type of election. It time. is, it is, it is. So, hey, thanks for joining us. And especially in light now, while many of us were just trying to relax this weekend, uh, a lot of people became very unrelaxed, especially with the U.S. State Department and Defense, as China tested a hypersonic missile slash glider. Tell us about this thing. Yes, these have been in the works for the last several years. And I say these because uh, both Russia and China have been at the forefront of developing this type of technology. Russia's system is called the Avangard. China's is called the DF-17. And um, this is really the first time where it's been proven. Uh, The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has talked about this at some length. In both countries, there have been military parades where they these weaponry weapons have been shown off, but uh, the the discussion is that they they fly twenty seven times the speed of sound. So so think about that, and they also have the ability to glide and also weave um, uh, around any anti missile defense system. And so it's very very scary in terms of the potential for the technology. Reportedly, the United States is not nearly as far along in terms of development of its own weaponry. And then we have to think about how to stop these types of weapons. Uh, so the successful test seemingly is, a, is a, an escalation of the ability of weaponry in the world. Hmm. Yeah, this is interesting, especially in light of a lot of the uh, Chinese saber rattling that's happened over the last few years. I mean, last weekend we were dealing with close by flights or at least several of them, uh, sorties uh, near Taiwan, and they've been threatening to bring Taiwan back into its uh, sphere, as it were. Um, Then there was something else that came out last week uh, where the person who was, past tense, software chief for the Pentagon, Nicholas uh, Chalin, I believe it is, he up and resigned. Tell us why he did that. It's an interesting one because it's it's one person. He's a, a software developer, but basically he resigned in protest saying there's too much bureaucracy in the United States and we're effectively losing the war on uh, AI, anything in terms of cybersecurity or cyber warfare. Uh, it's it's one domain of warfare, so it's not the be all end all, but has basically argued that the United States is at a kindergarten level mm. compared to China, and China is going to win this uh, hands down. And so, my view on it is that this is someone that's uh, on the inside. Uh, we should take his claims very seriously. Uh, on the other hand, there's so much happening in China that it's that it's hard to predict out 10 to 15 years from now uh, and that you know, we can worry, uh, but at the same time, uh, we don't know what the future holds for China and that um, uh, there are challenges as well because um, one of the shortcomings is that there's too much bureaucracy. That's the reason for uh, him quitting. Uh, on the other hand, that that's part of the democratic system to have checks and balances to be a bit mm-hmm. 
to approach topics in a slower fashion, whereas in a, a heavily authoritarian China, the Chinese Communist Party, the Politburo Standing Committee snaps its fingers, and things can move fairly rapidly from there. And so uh, there are pros and cons to both systems, uh, but I take democracy o- over the authoritarianism any day. Mm-hmm. Now, you're mentioning you, you tease something about the issues inside of China, which um, a lot of people have been talking about recently, at least on the economic front. Uh, there's something called the Evergrande crisis there, uh, a major developer just defaulting on a lot of debt. And it, some people are, are, are saying this is going to be just like another version of what happened to us back in 2008, Lehman Brothers collapse and all that happened there. Others are saying, nah, don't worry, it's not a big deal. W- what are you seeing? Because that's, that's one area of weakness that the Chinese have right now. If we go back 20 years, China's economy was the sixth largest in the world at just over a trillion dollars. It was about one-tenth the size of the United States. Fast forward to 2021, uh, China's economy is in excess of $14 trillion, and I'm measuring that in nominal GDP, and is about two-thirds the size of the U.S. economy. And so this has been an absolutely massive and rapid rise of China's economy. In fact, if we go back 40 or so years, China's been growing at 7 to 10 to 12% every year, year over year. And it's one of the great success stories that we don't often hear on the, the nightly news, just the sheer number of people that have been lifted out of poverty. Added to that, uh, we can estimate somewhere between 50 and 75 million Chinese have come to know Christ as their savior. And so there's a massive amount of change. And and yet in that backdrop, there are so many potential bubbles within the Chinese economy that suggest the possibility of of something being upended. And I was alluding to this in my previous question in that uh, with the Evergrande uh, issue in China, it's one potential bubble within their economy that if it bursts, uh, could have a deleterious effect on the Chinese economy that would then spill over into the world economy, but it would short circuit China's military rise as well. Uh, And so we'll have to see because there's a massive bubble in terms of the the, the housing market uh, and some others. And and the question is whether the Chinese Communist Party will be able to prop this up because it's a state-led capitalist model in China. Uh, And it could could have a cascading uh, impact elsewhere in the Chinese economy. It just depends on how much the Chinese Communist Party can absorb. Okay. This kind of gets me because I've been dabbling personally in some ideas as far as economic growth. And there's organic growth where it is very much community-based. It it grows out naturally from the wealth, the value that communities develop. And then you have what's kind of, I don't know, there's not a good word for apart from juicing the economy, I guess, uh, being on a sugar high. And is, is, are they about ready to crash after, after sugar high in China? It's quite possible uh, because this, this is an economy that um, has been uh, buffered by the uh, Communist Party. In effect, what they do is they provide very favorable loans to a set of different industries and that uh, debt load has been increasing uh, not only at the national level, but at local levels in China. 
And the question is, how far is, is too far? Because mm -hmm. uh, even though the average Chinese person, uh, their per capita income is around $10,000, it's very much a, a low to middle income country, their national government has taken on significant debt, which, which if it bursts, uh, is, is hugely problematic. The other issue is that uh, China's economy is massively export driven, uh, meaning if the United States manages to decouple or other countries uh, limit their interactions with China, that will also have a massive impact on China, but then will also cascade out globally. So there are a lot of different moving pieces. And it's interesting because the upper echelons of the Chinese Communist Party um, speak so negatively about capitalism, but at the same time, uh, their economy has grown very, very rapidly because of their ability to sell to capitalist countries. Uh, and so you raise a, a fascinating question because how much of the Chinese economic growth has been uh, organic, and I would argue that a fair amount, but how much of it has been uh, propped up by the devalu devaluation of the currency or uh, other ways of manipulating the economy uh, by the authoritarian government that suggests uh, that it looks strong when in fact it's, it's actually weak. And, and from outside of China, and frankly from outside of the Politburo Standing Committee, uh, we, we cannot know. Uh, these, these are things that are hidden uh, by an authoritarian government. All right. Well, we have to take a break. When we come back, again, we're talking with Glenn Durer from Cedarville University, talking world affairs. And, okay, a few weeks ago, Germany had an election, and, well, it's a, it's a parliamentarian system, and there's no one party that is the winner, so they're still working on who's going to be leading, what kind of coalition is going to be developed. We'll get a look at that, plus hopefully get a chance to talk about Iran and, again, their, their nuclear ambitions. This is Mornings with Carmen. <laughs> Again, Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot filling in this morning. Carmen will be back tomorrow. We're talking with Glenn Durer, a, a, a world affairs expert from Cedarville University. And before we get back to our conversation, Glenn, just got word and prayers going out. Hashtag pray the news for the family of Colin Powell, um, first black secretary of state, former head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He just passed away at the age of 84 from uh, complications from COVID-19. So... Wow. Any thoughts about that, uh, Glenn? Yeah, very sad to, to hear that. He had a remarkable career. Amazing. And as you mentioned, first African-American Secretary of State uh, during a very pivotal time at the, at the start of the century. And uh, you know, will hold a, a long legacy that will overhang uh, in, in, this, in, in the United States and globally. Mm, again, keep uh, the family of Colin Powell in your prayers. Uh, as we uh, turn our attention uh, to Europe right now, and we were talking a little bit about this via email before, Glenn, about Germany. Now, they had an election a couple of weeks ago, and kind of give us a rundown of what the results were and what has been the process to form a new government. It's been fascinating because we've been talking about the United States and China, number one and number two economies of the world. Germany is number four, and so it's still a, a big player uh, on the world stage. And the big talking point here is that Angela Merkel, the previous or the current chancellor, um, is, is stepping down after four consecutive election victories, 16 years in office, which is legal and democratic 
in most parliamentary systems and in Germany's indeed. And so it, it, it marks a significant change because Angela Merkel is usually considered the most powerful woman on the planet and usually somewhere in the top 10 of the most powerful people. Uh, but this election was a really very, very close between uh, Merkel's uh, Christian Democratic Union, to which she has now stepped down uh, or is in the process, uh, and Olaf Scholz's uh, Social Democratic Party. Uh, the two ran neck and neck uh, for a long period of time. The Green Party did very, very well as well. And uh, in effect, we're in a position now where uh, two parties got... Um, you know, very close uh, scores in the election and then seats in the Bundestag, that is the, the lower house. But the great, big question in German politics is always, how will the coalition government form? And uh, no one party generally can form a government by itself, so they need others. And the big question is whether the uh, left-wing social democrats will, will govern or the center-right Christian democrats will govern uh, the Green Party and the Free, uh, free Democrats, the centrists, will likely uh, be the kingmakers and queenmakers in this coalition government. So uh, what we can say is that Angela Merkel will, will leave off as chancellor probably in the next uh, month, two months, three months, somewhere in there. Uh, and the question, though, is, is who will lead? Okay, what does that mean for... Well, the average person here in America or anywhere in the world, I mean, you, you said they're the what fourth largest economy, and that's an issue. But what else? What other impacts might this have? Germany is is generally the leader in the European Union, and so we can probably uh, get a good sense of where the European Union is going based on the next Chancellor of Germany. I'm overstating it to some extent, but at the same time, uh, Germany is it remains very powerful in the way that the European Parliament is structured and its economy is so central. Uh, if we think about um, you know, Siemens, for example, or uh, Bayer, or if we get into the automotive industry, Audi, BMW, um, as examples, we, we can already think uh, uh, just the uh, connections to the United States. There are a lot of German companies, German-led companies. Aldi is another one where the average American will have uh, some form of connection. And so uh, it's also going to be big in terms of where uh, Germany moves forward. If we think about uh, shifts in our own country in terms of the uh, American rescue, American jobs, American families plans in, in terms of what's happening, we could see a similar shift in Germany if Olaf Scholz becomes the, the chancellor. Um, having said that, he tends to be on the more... Uh, centrist uh, part of the his left-wing party. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, there could be a, a fairly dramatic departure from uh, the way that Angela Merkel governed Germany for the last 16 years. All right. Well, we can you do this in like 30 seconds? Iran and their nuclear ambitions, that's been in the news a lot lately. Can you give a quick summary on that? Iran has over 130 different nuclear sites it is now enriching uranium to a 60% level. At 90%, they have the ability to form a nuclear weapon. It's becoming quite dangerous at this time. Uh, there's a new president that was elected. Um, I, I put elected in, in air quotes uh, because it's not a democratic system. 
Uh, and so there are a lot of moving pieces wherein Iran could uh, test a nuclear weapon in the relatively near future. All right. Hey, Glenn, thanks for joining us this morning and helping us apply the mind of Christ to a lot of the world news issues. So appreciate your help here on Mornings with Carmen. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. Breakpoint coming your way in one minute. Well, good morning again. Mornings with Carmen for this Monday, the 18th of October. And maybe as you're hitting the ground running, maybe that's what you're doing. Maybe you're starting off the morning feeling like I'm already behind, not for the day, but for the week. I got thousands of things going through my head about what the day has ahead of us. Your calendar is full of meetings. Your task list is like a couple of pages long, single spaced, all in eight point font. All right. Is there ways you can not just manage your time, but... Do so in a way that brings wholeness, that, that, that's purposeful. And oh, we're going to talk about that here in just a few moments. Jordan Rainer will be joining us here on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Early in the book of Esther, we read these words. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. This is Max Lucado. The polytheistic Persians did not require their conquered peoples to give up their gods, but they had to worship the Persian gods too. The Jews were to worship Jehovah God only. So the question of Psalm 137 and verse 4 is the question of the book of Esther. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How does a person of faith live in a faithless world? Mordecai and Esther initially created a world of hidden identity. You know, the compulsion to hide our identity as children of God affects us all at work, at school, or on the bowling league. But at some point, each of us has to figure out who we are and what that identity means for our lives. This is Max Lucado. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I am Paul Perot. Thanks for uh, joining me. And maybe you've seen the meme that's to the effect of, you know, God has so many tasks for you to do in your life, and I'm so far behind, I think I'll be done by the time I'm 185. Okay, it's a joke meme, and it's in many ways not true, and that's what we want to talk about. As I have Jordan Rayner on the line right now here on Mornings with Carmen. Jordan, you are, uh, thanks for joining us, first off. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Paul. And talking about your new book, which is due out tomorrow, called Redeeming Your Time. Now, uh, Jordan, it's not just me here right now. I have fanboy John Brandon. Uh, with <laughs> John. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fan man. Uh, what? <laughs> good to see you, my friend. How are you, John? Good, good. All right. Well, we are talking again about Redeeming Your Time, seven biblical principles for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. And first question I have for you actually comes right out of your book. Uh, It's in the start of the book. Why do we need another time management book? Oh, man, this is the most cluttered category of books in the world. There's 60,000 books in this category. I've read a lot of the perennial bestsellers. And I really wanted to write this book for two reasons, right? Number one, most time management books are what I would call based on works-based productivity. Right, The message is, hey, you're feeling swamped and overwhelmed. Follow the author system. 
do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you will find peace. Well, as Christ followers, we believe we already have peace, right? We could start with the opposite premise, what I call grace-based productivity, which says that through Jesus Christ, I have peace with God. So yeah, I care about time management, but not in this endless search for peace, but in response to the peace I've already been given. I just think that's a radically different foundation for a book. The second reason why I wanted to add this book into the time management category is I've never read a time management book that accounted for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, we read the gospels almost exclusively for their theology and their ethics. Mm -hmm. And of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have a lot to say about that. But we forget that they're also biographies of the life of Christ. And no, they don't show him with a to-do list or a calendar, right? But they do show Jesus fighting distractions at work and seeking out solitude and trying to be busy without being hurried. And so what I've done is I've taken these seven timeless time management principles from the life of Christ outlined them in Redeeming Your Time, and then connected them to more than 30 practices to help us live out those principles in the 21st century. Hey, hey Jordan, <clears throat> this is John. So uh, do you think Jesus was the best time manager ever? Yeah, listen, if he's the author of time, and here, here's the deal, this, this is part of what makes this book winsome to Christians and non-Christians alike. Even non-Christians will agree that Jesus was the most productive person to ever walk the earth. Right now, that's because it was 100% God and 100% man, right? But he's wildly productive for 33 years. And so if he's the author of time, we have to imagine that he stewarded his time perfectly. He was God, right? But yet, as Tim Keller has pointed out in some commentary on, on this in the past, he was also constrained at the same 24-hour time period that you and I were for the 33 years he was on earth. It's a wild idea. And I think in reading the gospels through this biographical lens, we can see some principles that apply to us today as we seek to, as the apostle Paul says, redeem our time because the days are evil. Mm. We're talking with Jordan Rayner, again, author of Redeeming Your Time. And you, you talk about looking at Jesus biographically or bio, uh, biographically yeah. and which I agree. I mean, it's amazing when you hear him talking, and I'm here to do my father's business. You especially see this in the Gospel of John, where he's, yeah. even, well, in the other Gospels as well. You also get biographical, and one of the first biographies you start off with is that of William Wilberforce. And why did you choose him? Because he is an interesting person. Because I think in Wilberforce, we could see a lot of ourselves. I, I come to a lot of people and they're like, I just, I, I feel so undisciplined. I feel like I can't solve my time management problems. Uh, and I would encourage you by saying, look to the life of William Wilberforce. Wilberforce is known for being uh, chiefly responsible for abolishing the slave trade throughout the British empire in 1807. But by his own admission, uh, early in his life, he was quote, constitutionally weak with regards to self-discipline, right? And what changed was his conversion. He was already in the British Parliament when he was 21 years old. Uh, he comes to faith in Christ at the age of 26, and he didn't drop out of Parliament, but he radically changed the object for his work, and he radically changed how he stewarded 
his time. Wilberforce understood what Paul says in Ephesians 5, that part of our response to the gospel is to roll up our sleeves and redeem our time because we believe we still have good works, as Paul and Jesus said, to do that advance the kingdom here on earth. Okay, and it, you brought out an interesting story about him, and one of the books he wrote, The Practical View of Christianity, which <laughs> we have an idea of practical being, you know, nuts and bolts, <laughs> hands-on, stuff like Tell us about this book because it became, yeah. I guess, sort of his heartbeat. It's fascinating, right? At the time Wilberforce published this book, it was his first book, he was widely known for the chief opponent to slavery. And so you would expect him to write maybe a treatise against slavery or maybe a, a really practical book on time management since he got really good at that. But instead, it was a book filled with theology, right? It was basically just a lot of seemingly impractical stuff. But the lesson I think we could draw from that, of course, is that theology is always practical, right? What we believe about God, about time, about our purposes within time always shapes how we go about our lives and our work and our efforts to redeem our time. And so I argue in the first chapter of the book that, listen, like, our, the core of our problems are not the wrong to-do list systems, right? Like it's not having the wrong app. Like we've got to get really clear on what God's word says about time, about our purposes in this world, and why we should care about redeeming our time. Because I think a lot of our theology uh, on this topic is, is lacking. Mm. Well, we're talking again with Jordan Rayner. We're going to take a break here when we continue talking about some of the principles, the truths that are foundational, because, Jordan, this is an immensely theological book. And I, I love that. <laughs> I'm happy to hear you say that. Well, OK, yeah. maybe not but immensely, but it is practice. very theological. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, and the, the, the goal was theological, theoretical and highly tactical. All right. We'll continue this conversation with Jordan Rayner and also John Brandon here in just a few moments here on Mornings with Carmen. Again, thank you for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Pro, guest hosting, along with John Brandon, who is a Forbes writer and fanboy of Jordan Rayner, who's joining us right now to talk about his book that's new, coming out tomorrow, Redeeming Your Time. Jordan, uh, there's a lot of pop culture references in this book, so I, I have one for you, because you talk about, in, in one of the chapters, Dissenting from the Kingdom of Noise. Now, have you ever seen Suing the Devil? No. Tell me all about it. Okay, Suing the Devil. It's it's a B-rate film out there, but it's interesting because it, it there's a little gem in this really bad movie. Uh, Malcolm McDowell <laughs> plays Satan. The guy decides, you know, he's going to sue Satan because of all the stuff that's going wrong in his life, and so Satan takes him up on it, and they appear in court together. And you have Malcolm McDowell doing a rant about, you, you know, his, his is the kingdom of noise, uh, you mm -hmm. know, the the jackhammers and all the stuff. That's me. I made that uh, customer service. That's my invention. I mean, stuff like that. <laughs> you know, probably all those robocalls for, you know, your, your car's uh, extended warranty would factor in there, too, if that were made today. But as opposed to that, and again, here's where the theology of your book comes out. We're mm -hmm. called into a kingdom and building into a kingdom. I want you to explain that and also go through real quickly, the five truths that are foundational to this book. 
Yeah, I think it's a really good way to address that question. Yeah, so in chapter one, I outlined these five biblical truths about time and productivity. Number one, I think we got to recognize that our longing for timelessness is good. It's God-given. Ecclesiastes 3.11 makes this clear. It says that God has set eternity in the human heart. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we want to live forever, but also we want to work forever, right? Not every day we get that work is is hard post-fall, but Isaiah 65 says that that promise is true. That feeling is true. One day we will work forever on a redeemed earth, right? That's the first truth. Number two, sin has ensured that we're all going to die with unfinished symphonies, right? So the human condition is longing for timelessness, longing for work that lasts forever, but also knowing uh, that we're going to die with unfinished work and unfinished to-do lists, right? Truth number three is God's going to finish that work that we leave unfinished. If the things on our to-do list are on God's to-do list, he's going to finish them with or without us. He doesn't need me to do anything specific for his kingdom building project, right? He's going to finish that work at the consummation of heaven and earth. Uh, Principle number four, truth number four, leads to this fact that the gospel is our ultimate source of rest and ambition. It enables me to rest knowing that God is going to finish all that work, but it also leads me to be wildly ambitious because through Christ, I don't have to earn any of God's favor. Right. I already have unconditional favor. And that leads me, ironically, to be even more ambitious to do his kingdom building work in this world, because I just want to bring him joy and I want to do my work and redeem my time as a response of worship. And then finally, the fifth truth about time and productivity is that we can know how God would manage his time. Right? We already touched on this uh, a few minutes ago, but it's a wild idea. Jesus was constrained to the same 24-hour time period that you and I are constrained to today. And yet, because he was fully God, we can assume he managed his time perfectly. And that's what this book is all about. Let's look at those timeless time management principles that led Jesus to be purposeful, present, and crazy productive and figure out how to integrate those principles into our own lives. Yeah, those are <clears throat> those are great points. So you and I have talked a few times, Jordan. Uh, we both have books about productivity. Mine comes out in January. Yours comes out tomorrow. But we talk a lot about goal setting and task lists. And I can imagine you probably don't want to encourage people to have a task list of 50 items long, right? <laughs> and there's a, there's a verse I wanted to share with you, Luke 9.51, that I found. It says, As the time approached for him, meaning Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It sounds like he was really goal-driven, but maybe there was only one goal, a few goals. What do you think about that? He was just so hyper-focused. Dorothy Sayers, the great British novelist, said Jesus had a purpose that was harder than steel. I love that image, right? There's this gentleness, but this purpose harder than steel. Yet Jesus was crystal clear on what he was saying yes to, on the work the Father gave him to do, to use his own words, right? His purpose was to come and preach the gospel in word and in deed. And because he was so crystal clear on what he was saying yes to, that enabled him to say no to a lot of good things, but that weren't the greatest use of his time. You see this in Mark chapter one, right? Uh, the disciples come in one morning and say, Jesus, a bunch of people are here. They want more healing. And he says, no, 
right? He healed people the day before, but the next day he said, no, he said, let's go to another nearby village uh, to preach the gospel for that is why I have come, Mark 138. That's a rough paraphrase of that verse. It's wild, right? Like Jesus was clear on what he said yes to that enabled him to say no and it provides a great model for us to prioritize the long list of things we could be doing down to the list of things we should be doing to do the work the Father has given us to do in this brief vapor of life. Again, Jordan Rader, we're talking with him this morning on Mornings with Carmen, Redeeming Your Time as his book coming out tomorrow. Seven biblical principles for being wild, or being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. Jordan, there's one word that I saw very sparingly used in your book, and you see them usually in most of the other ones. The word is success. Mm. Uh, why mm. do you not focus on that, but instead focus on purposefulness, presentness, and, and productivity? Paul, I love that you picked this up. That is very intentional. Because success in the way that the world defines it isn't the reason why we care about redeeming our time, right? The Christian life isn't about success by worldly standards. It's about stewardship, Right. And part of being good stewards, part of being the 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 the, the servants of the parable, the talents to steward their talents well, is rolling up our sleeves and redeeming our time. Tim Keller commenting on Ephesians 516, where, where this phrase redeeming your time comes from, says time stewardship is a biblical command. Like we a lot of times we think, oh, time management's secular, right? That that's what like businessy people do. No, the apostle Paul says that part of the response to the gospel for every believer is to walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, buying up, ransoming the time that we have because the days are evil and we're running out of time to do the work that God has asked us to do in this life. Okay. I have one more question because we have like about a minute left and it's going to be a two-parter because I'm jumping all the way to the end of the book. And you talk about there's two errors Say you follow everything you say in this book, a person does, and they are wildly productive, but there's a couple of errors they can fall into. Tell us about them. Discipline's a good thing. It's a good gift from God. But when we turn it into the ultimate thing, it becomes a life-sucking idol. And the two symptoms I look out for to know I've crossed over to this dark side of discipline are number one, when I'm unable to extend grace to others who are less disciplined than me. And number two, when I'm unable to extend grace to myself. Mm. That, both are very, very important. So, hey, Jordan, thank you again for joining us. Uh, real quickly, you do have a podcast that people might want to check out. Tell us quickly about that. Yeah, it's called The Call to Mastery. Every week I interview a Christian who's world-class at whatever it is they do vocationally, doctors, entrepreneurs, janitors, carpenters, whatever. And we talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ influences why they work, what they do, and how they do their work in the world. All right. Jordan Rayner, again, Redeeming Your Time, new book out tomorrow if you're looking for a way to Get focused on how you can live out the gospel in managing your time, redeeming your time. I wish we could have gotten into the Greek word for redeem, but, uh, you know, it's in the book. People can can read it. (laughs) Next time. Next Next time. time. So, hey, Jordan, again, thanks for uh, joining us here on Mornings with Carmen. My pleasure. All right. We'll be right back. Well, 
again, thanks for joining us this morning for Mornings uh, Without Carmen. I'm Paul Perot. Tomorrow I'll be back behind the board working the switches and getting Carmen on. She'll be back from her trip. Again, a reminder uh, for those in Hartford, Connecticut, this Saturday, Carmen's going to be in your beloved community having a meet and greet in the afternoon. If you'd like to learn more about it, text the word MEET to 877-933-2484. Hey, real quickly, too, Susie Larson, last night there was a a, a live stream event she did along with Sheila Walsh. It was called Unshakable Hope in Uncertain Times. Now, maybe you weren't able to be part of it. You can still watch it. You can go to our Facebook channel. Go to uh, you find Faith Radio on Facebook. You can watch it there or subscribe if you haven't yet to our YouTube channel and you'll see the video there as well. Still, you know, Susie and Sheila together. Unbelievable. So hope you can take that in if you haven't seen it yet. Well, again, thanks for joining us for Mornings with Carmen. We'll catch you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.